0: All right. Well, we've been in a series about growing. Uh, in week one, Pastor Brandon talked about the nature of growth and how we have the potential to grow. And in week two, Pastor Todd spoke about the importance of having balanced growth. And this morning, I want to talk to you about a tremendous yet uncomfortable way that God grows us, and it's in our greatest pain, or our greatest trouble, or our greatest. Times of Suffering. In this message, I want to talk about what we commonly bring to the table of our trials. And also, I want to help us to gather a better perspective of, of how we can view our trials. Now, I want to give you a, a, some thoughts by way of introduction before I get into the, the points. But many times we interpret God through our suffering and disappointments. We interpret life through it. And a lot of times it can dry us up, right? When we get hurt, when we get disappointed, it, it wants to dry drive, drive the drive out of us. Things that we suffer has a way of staining our emotions and perspectives. We start to see things different. It begins to, to make our hearts calloused, right? We all face suffering in life. But we don't suffer the same. In fact, we suffer the thing that we are suffering, and we suffer it the way we suffer it. No one suffers the same. We trust in our health just about all of our lives. And when something goes wrong, it, it causes us to fear. But in those moments, it shows us that our security is not in our own health. Our security is in God's abilities to, to carry us through. In every area of life. In this message, I want to talk more about God than about us. Because we can't help each other. God can help us. And if we change our perspective to see what God wants to do in our situations, though we may not be delivered from them immediately, we learn how to grow and process. All it takes is one phone call. And everything can change. Everything can change. You know, when I lost my dad, I lost the normal security that you would have when you lose a loved one, but you also lose the security of this belief that we are to live into our 80s and 90s, right? Or it becomes a new normal. Think about someone, Pastor Todd has mentioned this before, but I think it's a perfect example. Someone is 55 years old and and they lose their dad when they're 55 and when they're 57, they say, oh, I'm living on borrowed time. Imagine when you, you know, your dad passed away with a colon cancer and now you have to get scanned at 40 instead of 50. You see how it shapes the way that you now begin to see you interpret life through a new set of perspective and circumstances. This fear shapes our future and it guides our thoughts. But one thing that I've learned not to get sidetracked on the how and the why. Because what happens is we remove ourselves emotionally from God's presence in the situation. It's overshadowed by what we want Him to do, by what we want Him to change. We can tend to put our securities in our identities, right? In in what, what we do for a living. All of these things, when those things change, could change up our security. We get so wrapped up in the routines of life. And when that changes, It rocks our security. God is always getting us to rely on him. Right? That is where you're closest to God. When you're putting your faith and your trust in him. God is never wanting you to just be dependent. He wants you to not, not be independent. He wants you to be dependent on him. The Bible says in Acts 17, 28, in him and through him, we move and have our being. See, we all subtly or subconsciously have aspects of self on the throne. And when our natural abilities or securities get tampered with, it causes us to worry. But maybe we should consider that that is where God is interjecting trust. You see, it's perspective. Suffering surfaces what we truly believe and it refocuses on what we can't see yet should believe. Those are the times when we seek God. Suffering causes us to recalibrate our securities. We can't see the strength that we have when we have no reason to tap into it. You see, this is about growing into God, growing with God, growing in the things of God. Is God still good when when you suffer? You would say yes, absolutely. But in these moments is where you fight and dig to search it out and figure it out for yourself. Trouble surfaces the idol of self. You know if we were, if it was up to us we would never choose suffering, right? We would never choose that. We would never want that. We're in good company. Paul felt the same way. Remember he asked God to deliver him from the thorn in the flesh. And and God responds He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I want you to see that word most gladly. That's the consideration aspect we're going to be talking about. Paul asked God to deliver him and God said, no. How many times have we said, God, take this from me? And God says, no, I'm using that to grow you. His power is matured or made complete. In in that weakness, God supernaturally interjects his power. Weakness can catapult us to knowing God and and allowing God to use us how he wants to use us, right? We want God to use us to do things. If not, we're going to be... Mighty sorrowful when we stand before God on the day of judgment and we're not given rewards. Come on, we want those rewards so we can give them back to Jesus. Many of you have come here in your weakness, in a time of trouble, and now you are solid. You are growing. You are serving. But the fact of the matter is, we will not always be physically healthy. We do get older. Things change. When we get out of bed sometimes, Your knee will go out, right? But weakness exposes the faulty expectations that we have in this life. Weakness can pull back the veil of God's purpose and plan. Weakness depletes your strength, but it empowers you with God's strength. No one was ever promised a smooth life. No one. But God has promised that he will be with us all the days of our life you see we sit in this certain outlook that we think is just supposed to work out and we take our our experiences and we put it on the paper of experience but we never take that paper of experience and bring it into the paper of god's word how could paul say he is able to boast about his weakness he tapped into a crucified life now think about that he had a lot of time to be in the school of consideration He went through hell on earth for a lengthy period of time. He learned that no matter what came down the pike, God was with him and he expected supernatural strength every time weakness came. And this is the strength that Paul tapped into. He was always in a position of life or death. And then he was able to speak life and live by the power of life. The things Paul suffered stripped him of himself, which was Paul's major issue, right? We read that in in Romans 7. Paul struggled with himself. Paul was a Jew of Jews. He he knew the Torah. He would boast about his abilities. But it wasn't until his suffering that he became most effective. Some people are just intellectual Saul's, but not effective Paul's. We need to grow from Saul to Paul and God will use those things in our life to get us there. I wonder how many people this morning are sitting in weakness and suffering in weakness and sulking in trouble. Here's the verse we're going to be coming out of James chapter one, verses two and four. It says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. That's a lot in that text. See, we must gain perspective by one word consider. It's easy to see suffering as weakness. But we must choose to consider it a school of higher learning, a school of great effectiveness. Amen. I know this might be not a recess type sermon, but sometimes we need math and science. Amen. Come on. We need to get deeper into the things of God. Instead of pushing God away when he's using the situations in our life and growing in them, this is where we will become effective. In the school of consideration, we take classes on testing, endurance, faith, growth. And the graduation moment is number verse four, mature, complete and needing nothing. And that's in every battle. And you know why that's graduation? Because that's where you're seeing God the most in every situation. And when you have God, you really don't need anything else. Suffering forces you to go to the gym of consideration and work it out. The Bible is full of life accounts with trials and tribulations. I'm sure John never considered when he was a political prisoner on the island of Patmos that he would get the greatest revelation ever seen by man. I'm sure Abraham never considered in his infertility that he would birth the nation of Israel. I'm sure David never considered when he's holding the the head of Goliath that he would one day hold the scepter of power. And Joseph, I'm sure when he was sitting in that rock pit, never dreamed he'd be sitting on a throne in a palace. The Bible is our textbook in consideration. The Bible is the tip of the spear for perspective. The Bible informs us what to believe, how to respond, what to expect, and how to fight. The Bible gives us wisdom on how to interpret the blows of life. It says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that you might find yourself in. The word of God is meant to absorb the shock of life and prepare us for eternity. Trouble will drive you to your textbook. Our interpretation of trouble is molded by what we believe about God. We believe what we believe about God is found in his word. Listen, thoughts will come your way that God has forsaken you, but it comes from a reservoir of what you already believe, and I'll explain that to you in a minute. You see, our suffering is interpreted more by what's in our hearts than what's actually happening to us. You know, physical and emotional pain is one thing, but feeling as if you're alone or abandoned or God is piling something on you will soften the blow or harden it and it will strangle hope from you. You know when I lost those babies Shannon and I I had picked up a thought process for some reason that my my works had something to do with it. And when I felt like I couldn't go to God, it catapulted me into despair like I had never known. And Proverbs 4:23 says, "Guard your heart, Above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Listen, the things that we go through in life can be like daggers. And when you get blow after blow, it is up to us to consider what God is doing, what God is allowing. Right. Not putting it on God saying, God, you're doing this. Listen, God is perfect. We have to come to a plumb line belief. God is perfect. He is never wrong ever. It's always our interpretation of the facts. Now, here's some things that we go into suffering with. Number one, we go into suffering or troubles of any sorts with a belief system about God. Job 42, 5 and 6 says, I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now that I have it all firsthand for my own eyes and ears, I am sorry. Forgive me. I will never do that again. I promise I never again will live on crust of hearsay or crumbs of rumor. Think about that verse. I like the way it said it in this particular translation. And in Philippians, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, one has said the most important thing, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a powerful statement. If you, if you really start to track your thoughts, you will see that a lot of it comes out of what you already believe. You see, everyone has a belief about God. Everyone has a theology, and you live your life aligned with it. Believe it or not, we bring what we believe about God to the table of every trial, everything we suffer through, and ultimately the outcome of the trial. You see, people look down on the word theology, but it just simply means the study of God. And here's the thing. You already have a theology. You already have a belief system. But it's easier to fill in the blanks with what we want God to be, who we want him to be, or what he's doing than what he's really doing. But Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Behold, I am with you even to the ends of the age. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Call on me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not yet know. This is the God that you and I serve. This is what you sink your teeth into when you have unanswered questions, when you feel alone, when you feel like the devil is throwing everything at you. You can stand firm knowing that the lion of the tribe of Judah has your back and is looking at the devil eye to eye and saying, leave my son and my daughter alone. Amen. In our troubles, it's the best time to seek God out because that's where he's the closest. He's the closest. He's near the brokenhearted. When someone's close, you can have intimate conversation and God is not trying to hide from you. We're just not listening. Trouble causes you to search for answers you you never thought you'd have the questions for. But it causes you to search out this great God that I'm speaking of tonight, this morning. Consider the opportunity. Everyone has a belief system. If your belief system is in the politics of this world, (laughs) it's going to go up and down, up and down. But if your belief system is in the world to come, that that kingdom that I'm speaking, of will one day smash the kingdoms of this world and grind it to face powder and everything will be made right. You can have faith and assurance that it doesn't matter what's going on here. One is coming. And there will be no need to to try to sort things out. He will rule with a rod of iron, and it will be his way, and it will be perfect, peaceful, joyous, like we have never known. But if your faith is just in the news today, we are utmost pitiful. Right? Pitiful. Listen, let me give you a personal example going back to how I felt like when Shannon would be pregnant i i felt as if you know if i think a certain way if i do a certain thing if i'm nice all these things and you you might you might think i'm crazy uh, but it just i don't know here's the point of this i don't know why i thought that way it was just there and that's really the whole point of why i'm telling you this i had a theology it was just there. You have things in your life that you believe about God that you don't know where you got it from. You just believe it. You just think it. Right? And so when you have these thoughts, it will guide the way you interact. Guess guess who was scared to go to God if I messed up? Me. If I thought God was ready to, uh, you didn't do what I told you to do. No, baby. I was fearful to go to him because I had formulated my obedience around God answering my prayer. But the point is, it was just there. I could quote the just shall live by faith. But something on the inside of me tapped into a belief system that was faulty. And I would constantly live under condemnation. But theology will straighten that out. Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now therefore, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Romans 8, 15. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. I was acting like a fearful slave. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Listen, if you are a child of God and you are scared of him, something is off. We should have a holy reverence and a fear, but not a terror if we're his child. On the cross, God treated Jesus like he lived my life. So he could treat me like I lived Christ. There was an exchange. And we must bathe our minds and our hearts and our spirit in this truth. This is a truth. What the devil slings at you is a lie. You have to believe what God says. That's how you get through everything in life. And I'm not just telling you something that I think. I'm telling you this is Bible truth. How can you reach out for mercy when you think you're getting what you deserve? Right? How many of you are here in condemnation? Listen, be free from that. If your heart is connected to Christ and you desire to live a godly life and your faith is in what he's accomplished for you, walk away from this service free as a child of God, empowered to live by him and gloriously happy. (laughs) The greatest thing that will ever happen to us is when we pass on from this world into the next. I'm telling you. Or the rapture comes, which would probably be better. (laughs) That would be amazing even though I'm scared of heights. (laughs) Now I want to give you something else. Once again, this might just be me. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things together to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become, become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. On these whom he predestined, he also called and whom he called, he justified and them who he justified, he glorified. Now, once again, I would interpret this and I've actually heard people interpret it just in conversation that the good that comes out of our loss, some kind of way should overshadow what we lost. And we live with this faulty expectation That this was bad, but something better is coming in. You know, if you think about somebody that loses business, that is, that is did everything right. Somebody comes in, snakes him, and and the guy never recovers. And he has to go work for someone else. And he never gets the joy of owning his own business. You can't tell him that there's a good for that because not everybody experiences that. But here's the thing that I found in this verse. If you remove verse 28 from the context, you have a limited view of a good trade-off. You know, if you think about the Amber Alert, I'm sure that the mom that this Amber Alert is named after the nine-year-old that, that w- went missing would rather have her nine-year-old. You can't tell her, well, here's the good that came out of your loss. Or if you lose your husband and you say, you know what? My husband's a real stinker. I really appreciate mine seeing how you're suffering, not with yours. Do you believe that things like this are said to people? It's, I'm telling you things that I've I've heard. Or if you think about the good, it 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 causes you to wait and listen for this unrealistic expectation. Listen, some things don't work out like we want them to. They don't, and we we don't want to walk around waiting for a good scenario to overcome what we've lost. You know what the good is? It tells you in verse 29 and 30 that no matter what we go through, that God will bring something good out of it. Obviously, he will bring good out of the most vicious trial. But our security in his ability to hold us and keep us and carry us over to the other side is what is secure. That's the good. Our salvation is good. No matter what we lose here, listen, losing these babies, there's nothing that I can do You can't tell me that, you know, you can pray for somebody that's constantly having miscarriages and a hundred people can have a baby after miscarriages. That will never make me feel like, oh, man, this is the good that came out of not having my children. It is a good. And I and I my heart is attached to your need because of what I went through. But there will not be any good in that that I consider good until I stand on the streets of gold with kids on my back, around my ankles and feet. Amen? This is truth. Amen. Number two, a faulty expectation in a fallen world. Romans 8:18 8, through 22. For I consider that suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For this creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Listen, that the creation itself will be set free from slavery of corruption. Perspective is a great school, a great class in the school of consideration. Listen, this forces us to trade the temporary for the eternal. Do you not know that God is always wanting to get us to grab the perspective to go heavenward, to think heavenward, where our treasure really is. Gaining an eternal perspective doesn't come overnight. It's a battle. It's a grind because you're trying to align your situation with the truth. Listen, everything in this life will decay. You can build a house in River Ranch and never move into that thing. And within a matter of years, it will dry rot and decay. Because sin in this world is pulling it down. The Bible says in verse 21 that we're, that the world is enslaved to corruption. So we should not have a false reality that everything will stay the course. See, we live every day with the facts of life that are not the facts of life. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised anything, but we should live our life expecting God to do something. See, we need to be prepared if the train goes off the tracks of life. Amen. But suffering shakes up our false romance with the things of God. I mean, the, th- the things of the world. Relationally, we put false expectations on people around us, right? Here's a news flash. Someone in your inner circle will let you down. They will respond wrong. They will forget to text you, happy birthday. Someone who has been strong in your life will be weak. Some role model will let you down. You know why? Every one of us has sinful ways. And sooner or later, it will manifest in front of someone. But God and his might gives us grace, and that should be sufficient. Number three, self. 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ. Now listen. I know this firsthand, being an only child. We live self-pleasing, self-driven, self-agenda. We're born as the king of our own world. We're self-preserving, self-entitled, right? When we suffer, we're forced to see our our mortality, our our independence. We see our own independence. When God's plans and purposes are interwoven into a situation in our life, it causes us to see that we're being selfish when we, when we buck, buck against it. Consider that in those situations, God may be interjecting a dependence on Him. As a child of God, we are constantly being drawn to God. We are constantly being pulled to God. God never designed us to go at life independently. He always desired us to be dependent. When you grow up a child, you want the child to grow up and get out of your hair at a certain age, right? <laughs> get independent. Not with God. When we grow and we get more and more of God, we grow more independence of our of, of who he is. You know, we when we get the flu, I don't thank God for the medicine. I thank God for my health. I've been having a problem in this right ear since Easter. You know what I do all the time? I thank God for my left ear. <laughs> Suffering has a way of shaking up and exposing our dependence on the things we put comfort in, like our vacations, right? We put, man, if I could just get to vacation. And if something goes awry, it causes us to, to get worried, to get confused. You know, I was thinking about my mom couldn't even walk last last Christmas. You know, that was a big deal. That was important. But this year we were able to celebrate and set things up. You know, if I put, and I do, I put comfort in the holidays. But sometimes the holidays are not where our comfort is. We get, we get pulled aside. We go, we go into sickness or something like that. And it throws our, our, our joy and our hope off. Many people lose their job and then you, they, they feel as if they lost their identity. Suffering always realigns us back to the things of God, is my point. Everything that we do needs to be in God, through God, whether we eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I believe that God's greatest joy is when we enjoy him. When God sees us and we're enjoying him during worship, I bet you it's one of those moments where in heaven God's eyes get watery because he sees you worshiping him. He sees you honoring him, and he sees the struggle that you left in the foyer. He sees the struggle that you left at home, and he sees that you are worshiping. That is the holiest and most godliest form of worship, when you can worship through the thing that you're going through. Listen, when we get to heaven, we're going to worship God in a perfect environment. There will be no more struggle. There will be no more worry, no more doubt, no more fear. So when we're here, we're worshiping through these emotions. So what's the life application that I want to leave you with? Number one, God is glorified and displays his power in our weakness. Like one has said, there's a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets out through the cracks. Think about it. In the one moment of confusion and chaos and loss and an onslaught of emotion, we could be comforted. That God in all of his glory, in all of his promise, is there with you. That should bring the joy of the Lord. And he is ready to display himself for us. It's comforting to know that God is never caught off guard. That there's not some rogue attack being planned and coming your way. Second Corinthians 4, 7 and 10. It says, we know that this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus May be seen in our bodies. You see, we've bought into some kind of way that Christianity is about us, but it's about Him. It's about His great life in us. And man, when we can tap into that, and you could tap into a real reason to to live for God, when you could tap into a reason and say, you know what, this is my situation right now, but I'm gonna take this situation and I'm gonna glorify God, the very thing that that you are struggling with or that is causing you the most sadness can be the very thing that will cause you the most joy when it gets in God's hands. Amen. You may not believe that right now, but when you're in a situation, you'll say that boy from New Iberia said something right. See, we're not intended to be some steel jar. We are clay. We are fragile. Right? Some of us more than others. <laughs> but this treasure that shines through the light is what will draw people to us. Number two, God uses our suffering to mature and grow us. We read this in James earlier. And I like what it says in verse three. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. See, we have, an, we have the ability to fight it, to push it away from us. Or we have the, the the ability to consider it, to, to, to chew it, to swallow it down, and to say, okay, God, this isn't what I'd have, I'd have planned. This isn't what I like. I don't want to do this. But I know that you're perfect. I know that you are glorious. I know that you are capable of everything. And God, I don't want to be the person that hinders this. So take this thing and use it for your glory. All God is wanting us to do is to let it grow. Let him have his way. Whether, you know, we get so caught up in is God causing it? Is he allowing it? Whatever is coming our way, it can mess you up either way. If you think God is just in heaven and something comes on the and he's just kind of off to the side, just letting this thing happen, it'll cause you to be bitter towards it. If you feel like God is doing it or allowing it, it'll cause you to be bitter towards him. All of these different things will cause our minds to go a certain way. But if we anchor our faith and our knowing that God is with us, that He is, that He is working all things out, many of you know that you've been on the brink of death and you've seen God deliver you. I'm looking at people right now that could not walk, but yet they are walking glorious with a testimony that is out of this world, that is drawing people in. Like bees to honey. You know, Pastor Todd said a couple of weeks ago that people come to church in their suffering. And you're not expected to jump for joy in suffering, obviously. But instead, we rejoice in what God is able to do, what he can do, what we would like him to do, and ultimately what he will do because he's perfect. So you need to know, listen to me, you are not being forsaken by God. You are not being, I know. Sometimes I feel that way. I feel like, man, God, is it like you just got a screen in heaven and you're like, man, y'all watch this. Sometimes you feel like that. You feel like, really? But in those moments is where you start to gain the things that you need for this life and that you're rewarded in the next life. See, God uses the things that we go through to grow us away from ourselves and into Christ. Suffering puts our greatest idols in a lineup It makes it easily identifiable. Number three, God uses our suffering to minister. God will use your greatest suffering for your greatest ministry. You know how I know that? Because I look in the face of people all the time that say, you don't understand. And I can say, no, I do understand. And you know, when you do that, you're being more like Christ. He identifies with our weakness. The, the issue is, are you willing to share your struggle or your weakness with someone that is going through the same thing? A lot of times we say, well, I'm not going to share this. I know what that's like as well. God, I'll never share this. I can't believe this is happening. Listen, I'm going to share with you. You don't know the weight that I feel when I get up here. And you, you all know things didn't work out like I wanted them to. And the devil always tells me, those people are not going to believe you. Look your life. It didn't work out with healing. It didn't work out with the children that you wanted. But you know what I do? I take that and say, my insecurity is my insecurity, but I'm just going to lay it at your feet and you pick up what you can eat off of it. And I'm going to just trust God that he's going to allow it to grow. I'm just being real with you. I'm not the guy who wants to preach on faith in it working out. I could never have a money-making TV ministry where I tell you it's going to work out if you buy me a plane or something. <laughs> that wouldn't be me. <laughs> but listen, our suffering is meant to help others. It strips us of self, and it produces a dependence that we must have we must have a dependence on God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 10. This is lengthy, but if you listen to it in the context of what we're saying, I think it's going to make a lot of sense to you. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with this comfort. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. Remember Romans 8 when we read it earlier. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond the ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Listen to this. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God. They went to the school of consideration. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. Look look, look, at the confidence here. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Don't you not realize that by this rescuing, you and I sit here saved, filled with the Spirit, and packed for heaven? Trouble made Paul resistant, resilient, effective, and confident. And your suffering faith grows your character. It it bridles your emotions. And your ministry increases. These are gifts. The things that I've suffered through has given me more compassion for those that suffer the same types of things. And can I be honest? I wouldn't have chose a lot of it. I wouldn't have. But those things will help you find your purpose and make a difference in the kingdom of God. And number four, and this is the end. God's purpose is also to detach us from here and attach us to where he is. Second Corinthians four sixteen and 18. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God, and not made by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and long to put out our heavenly bodies as new clothing. Listen, can we stand? Uh, I'm sorry. I hate when this happens. I love you too. So I want to wrap it up this way. You might be here and you're going at life alone. You're suffering alone. God doesn't want that for your life. He wants to give you himself. And if you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you could say, Kelly, I want God to rescue me from my situation. I want him to grant me eternal life. I just want you to slip your hand up, and I'm going to pray for you. I see your hand. Come on, lift your hand. I see you. I see you. Praise God. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Praise God. God is moving. Come on, let's pray together as a family. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. And I acknowledge that I have sinned, that I've broken your laws, and I don't want to live that way anymore. I pray that you would save me, that you would redeem me. I put my faith in what Christ did at the cross for me, And I acknowledge that he is my master, my Lord, my Savior. God, you are my father. Thank you for redeeming me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, praise God. This is the greatest decision you will ever make, ever. Praise God. Glorify him, yes. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a a card in in the pew with a green strip. If you just fill it out, we'd just like to know that you made that decision. And we want to pray for you this week. The rest of you, I want to pray right now in Jesus' name for you. Father, I just come Lord, and I ask that anyone here that is in going through a trial, going through trouble, God, I ask that you would grant them the godly perspective that they need. God, I ask that you would grow them and empower them and equip them, Lord, for great and mighty things that, that they will do in your kingdom. God, you are the, the God of all comfort and the source of our comfort. And Lord, we just thank you for just being you in us in jesus name i pray and ask and the church said amen praise come on give god a hand of praise thank you lord well if you need prayer for anything we'll be up here we'd love to pray with you god bless you